go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2. That's where we're going to be in God's Word today. And uh, I know some of you may be just a little bit nervous. Listen, uh, I love to hear the sounds of the babies this morning. But mamas, you might not love it so much. But I promise you it's not going to bother me. And I, I can only imagine the sound of a baby's voice all those years ago on that holy night when Jesus Christ was born. Today is Christmas Eve, and we're just hours away uh, from celebrating Christmas Day. Actually, at Start Baptist Church, we've been celebrating Christmas for quite some time. We celebrate Jesus Christ. We celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. You see, Christmas, in my opinion, is the greatest love story that's ever been told. And if you want the truth, I can tell you the truth. This entire word, from Genesis to Revelation, it really comes down to two seasons that we celebrate. The Christmas season and the Easter season. That's my opinion. From the very beginning, we know that God loved us. We know that God had a plan and a purpose for us. And we know that God was going to do something about the sin that each one of us is guilty of. The Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything that has been created. And I love this. Pastor Greg Laurie recently preached in one of his sermons. He preached this. He said, when we revisit the Christmas story, the problem is that we become so familiar with it that we become indifferent towards it. In time, new things become old things. And if we're not careful, the Christmas story can become old for us. I don't believe the Christmas story is old. I preach the Christmas story every Sunday when I get up to preach. Why? Because the Christmas story is about Jesus. And I preach Jesus every time I preach. Because if I don't preach Jesus, then here's the truth, I don't preach at all. If it's not about Jesus, then it's not preaching from God's Word. And that's why I've been asking you this question. If you're visiting with us today, I've been asking this question for four weeks, and so I'm going to ask it now for the fifth week. What does the Christmas story mean to my faith? That's the question I want you to ask yourself. What does the Christmas story mean to my faith today? See, I don't want it to be some old story that you've heard for years and years and years. I don't want it to be something that you've become indifferent to. I want it to be something that is fresh and new today. My answer has not changed. I've given the same answer every week. And so for the fifth week in a row, I'm going to answer that question for you. What does the Christmas story mean for my faith today? The Christmas story is the firm foundation for my faith. The faith that I have today, it is a gift from God. It is by God's grace that I have faith. And that faith is built upon Jesus Christ. It begins for me when Jesus Christ came to this world. I love what Dr. David Jeremiah says. He says, divinity invaded humanity. That's what happened when Jesus came. He was completely divine, but he became completely human. And as we look at the Christmas story in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, we see people of faith. And what we see is we see people like Zechariah, we see Elizabeth, we see Mary, we see Joseph. 
And what we see is, like us, none of them were perfect. Listen, I have faith today, but I'm not perfect. You are here, and my prayer is that you have faith today too, but the truth is you're not perfect. And what's going to happen is in this life, we're going to struggle in our faith. Listen, Zechariah, he struggled in his faith. As a matter of fact, he stumbled and fell in his faith. Elizabeth, right? She lived years and years without a child, and she felt disgrace from the, the community around her, society. She felt like she was worthless, and all of a sudden she was told by the angel, you're going to have a child. And suddenly she grew in her faith. Mary, her faith was tested. She, she was a young virgin engaged to Joseph. She had not yet been married, not yet consummated that marriage, and yet she was pregnant with child through the Holy Spirit. And she knew what that could mean if people saw it and if people heard about it. She knew that she could actually be stoned. She could be killed because of this. But what did she say? She said, I am your servant. Let it be done to me as you have said. And so again, struggling in faith, but growing in faith. And what we see in each of them is what we're going to see this morning, even with the shepherds. Jesus came to us, and he came to us with purpose. You see, Jesus came to save us from our sin and to free us so that we might live fully and eternally. That's why Jesus came. He came for you. He came for me. He came for all of us so that we could be saved, so that we could be set free to live the way God created us to live in the beginning. Did you know that in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we find the greatest promise that has ever been made? I've told you this many times. God is a promise maker and God is a promise keeper. When God makes a promise, he keeps it. And in Genesis 3.15, the greatest promise that has ever been made, we find it. You ready? Genesis 3.15 says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we see the promise of Jesus Christ. It's the greatest promise that's ever been made. I love what Dr. David Jeremiah says. Listen to this. He says in Genesis 3.15, we see the first gospel message. The good news of salvation, the coming of the woman's offspring was fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. And on the cross, Jesus' body was bruised and broken. And at the second coming of Christ, Satan's head will be crushed finally. The greatest promise that's ever been made, God made it, and it was Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, where we find ourselves today, verses 1 through 7, we find the greatest fulfillment of promise and prophecy ever. The greatest promise that was ever made was Genesis 3.15. The greatest fulfillment of that promise and the greatest fulfillment of every prophet that has ever preached the Word of God is fulfilled in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Look at it with me. It says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. Do you think all of this was a coincidence? 
You'd have to believe a whole lot better than I believe to think this was coincidence. Listen, God had this set up all the way in Genesis chapter 3. God knew what was going to take place. He had it set up to take place. Verse 5 or verse 4 says, So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to be registered with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. When Jesus is born, promise and prophecy collide. Promise and prophecy are fulfilled. The hope that had been talked about for years and years, decades and generations, the hope of the world came to the world and came to the world in the most humble of circumstances, the most humble of ways. There in the town of Bethlehem, the town of David, in a humble manger. The greatest promise ever made was in Genesis 3.15. It's the promise of Jesus. The greatest fulfillment of promise and prophecy ever was Jesus in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. But man, I love this because we're still a part of this today. In Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 21, we find the greatest announcement, the greatest announcement of good news for all people. Are you ready for this? Because we're still a part of this today. I'm making that announcement today, and I hope that you make that announcement every time. Every time you talk about Christmas, you talk about Jesus. You don't just talk about the food on the table and, man, that's some good stuff. And I think I got some lined up and ready for me. We we don't talk about the presents under the tree. We talk about Jesus, the greatest announcement ever made right here. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. It says there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Listen, I think so many times when we think about angels, we think about these, you know, plump little babies with wings and cute little faces and pretty little lips. I'm going to just tell you something. Every time in the scriptures when we see an angel, how do people respond first to that angel? They are terrified. These angels are glorious beings. They've been in the presence of God and they are speaking the word of God. And I just believe that's why it says they were terrified. Verse 10 says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news. I bring you good news. Listen, in the Greek, you know what that word is? Gospel. The angel says, I'm bringing you the gospel, the good news that will cause great joy for who? For all people. For all people. Listen, this wasn't just for the religious people. This wasn't just for the Israelites. This was for everyone. Why do you think the angels came to the shepherds first? I'm going to tell you about them shepherds in just a minute. 
But the angel says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off. Don't miss that. They hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. The greatest promise ever made, Genesis 3.15, Jesus will come. The greatest fulfillment of promise and prophecy ever made. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Jesus is born. And the greatest announcement ever made. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 21. Come and see. Come and see the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, when the angels came, He came to the shepherds. When the angel came, he came to the shepherds. And Pastor Joby Martin, one of my favorite pastors, I love what he tells us about the shepherds. Listen, the shepherds in this day, they were lowly people. They were humble people. Not only that, they were considered filthy by everyone else. Did you know that the shepherds could not enter the temple? They were considered physically unclean, ceremonial ceremonially and religiously unclean. That's what was thought about the shepherds. They were considered the outcasts of society. And yet, who did the angels take the greatest announcement ever made to first? The shepherds. I'm going to ask you this morning, have you ever felt like the outcast? Have you ever just felt filthy and dirty because of your sin? Have you ever felt like you just didn't belong? Like no one cared about you? Like no one loved you? Let me tell you this. God loves you. And He loves you right where you are. He can't love you any less and He can't love you any more. Do you know what Romans says? The book of Romans says that while we were still sinners, Christ came and Christ died for us. That is God's demonstration of love. I'm much like those shepherds. I am so much like those shepherds. I am unclean inside and out. But Jesus came for me. He came to save me. He came to rescue me. He came to redeem me. He came to cleanse me from the inside out and make me holy and righteous so that I could glorify and praise the God 
who created me. The shepherds, how did they respond? How did they respond to the greatest announcement that had ever been made because of the greatest fulfillment of promise and prophecy that had ever been made because of the greatest promise that had ever been made? How did the shepherds respond? Well, we see it right here. They responded by hurrying off, right? They hurried to Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Have you been hurried any this Christmas season? Have you been hurried, right? I got to hurry and buy a present for this person or that. I got to hurry and get lunch ready or dinner ready. I got to hurry. I got to hurry. Listen, we're always in a hurry, aren't we? We're hurrying to do this and hurrying to do that. Let me ask you a question. Have you been hurrying to get to Jesus this Christmas season? I'm not casting any stones. I'm just asking some questions. Because what I'm finding in my own life is that I'm in a hurry for a lot of things that in the end won't ever matter. I want to be more like the shepherds. I want to hear about the greatest promise, the greatest fulfillment, and the greatest announcement ever made. And I want to get to Jesus as fast as I can. I want to hurry to Jesus. The Bible says they hurried to the place where Jesus was. And when they saw with their own eyes what they had been told, I just believe it was one of the first worship services on earth. One of the first worship services on earth, other than Mary and Joseph worshiping their Savior who was their child, I believe these shepherds were a part of the first worship service on earth. And the Bible says they responded by leaving that place and spreading the good news, right? They spread the good news of what they had been told and what they had seen and heard. So I want to ask you one more time. What does the Christmas story mean to your faith today? What does the Christmas story mean to your faith today? Have you heard it so much that you're just kind of like, yeah, I've heard that. I know that. Have you become indifferent to it? Has it become old and stale? And if so, I'm going to just tell you something. That's not the Spirit. And that's not God. That's you and me. We can make anything and everything, right, more important than Jesus. We can. It's called idolatry. We set idols up in our lives and we worship those idols. And here's how we worship them. We run to them. We hurry to them. And we pour out everything we got to them. I'm wondering today if the Christmas story has gotten old and stale, maybe, just maybe, for the Christ followers in the room, Christmas Eve might need to be a time of repentance. A time of saying, Lord, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of idolatry. I have set so many things before you. And I have run to them and hurried to them and worshipped them. And I have forgotten about my Savior. I've forgotten about the one who has changed my life forever. Who has freed me from the penalty and the bondage of sin so that I can live. Live fully and eternally. I wonder today, what does the Christmas story mean to your faith? Here's another answer. And I'm going to leave it at this. This is, this is my answer. And I pray that it can be your answer, but you're going to have to make that decision with your own heart. The Christmas story, yes, it is a firm foundation for my faith 
but it is also an opportunity for Jeff to worship the Lord and for Jeff to spread the good news to others, to tell somebody else about the man, the God-man, divinity invading humanity who was born into this world to save me, to free me. See, that's what the Christmas story means to me. I'm going to tell you, that's why I can listen to Christmas music January 1st through December 31st. It drives my wife and kids crazy. It'll drive my staff crazy when they walk into my office and they hear that Christmas record playing on June the 2nd. I celebrate Christmas every day. I'm going to tell you something else. I celebrate Easter every day. Because after my Jesus was born, my Jesus lived a full and perfect life perfect life, never sinned and then my Jesus was taken to that cross and my Jesus was placed on that cross, he was nailed to that cross and let me just tell you something nobody killed him, you want want to know what he laid his life down no one took his life he gave his life he took the nails and he took them in his hands and his feet and he did that for me he did that because of me And for me, you see, on that cross, he bore my sin. And then they put him, they put him in a grave. And do you know that that grave was much like that manger? I know a lot of times we think it's an old shed, an old barn in the backyard. Most theologians agree, and I tend to agree, that that manger was actually probably carved into a cave. A little, a little spot in a cave. Can you imagine this? He was born in a cave, in a, in a hole, in, a, in the rock. And when he died, they put him in a cave. And they rolled a stone across it, but that stone was rolled away three days later. And Jesus came out of that grave. And you know what he did? He defeated sin and death, and he did it once, and he did it for all. Remember what the angel said? This is good news for who? All people. All people. Every nation. Every generation. Jesus died and Jesus rose again so that we might have life full and eternal it's Christmas it's Easter it's Jesus amen I pray today that your heart is right I pray today that you've already been a part of worship but that you'll continue to worship and what I'm going to do in this moment right now is I'm going to give you a chance to respond. You can respond right there where you are. You can respond in this altar. You can respond by making, listen, some of you may have came to this place today and you may understand today for the first time the gospel message that God loves me, that He gave His one and only Son for me, that if I would repent of my sin and put my faith and trust in Him, that I would have life full and eternal. Maybe today you need to be saved. What an awesome day to be saved, amen? Christmas Eve when we celebrate Jesus coming to us. And maybe today you're a Christ follower and you say, Brother Jeff, I just need to repent because I have missed it. I've missed it. I've made Christmas about anything and everything but Jesus, but I want to get it right today. And maybe right now where you are at this altar, you just want to pray a prayer of repentance. Or maybe today you have been focused on Jesus. Praise God. And maybe today you just want to keep on celebrating Jesus. Well, you can do that right now as you pray.
silently in your heart and your mind to God who came to you, Emmanuel. Emmanuel.